0: I have wondered about the thief on the cross. As Jake mentioned, that remarkable story in Scripture. And I have wondered what the thief thought when Jesus died. Because there on the cross, the thief said, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Well the Bible tells us that Jesus took his last breath, crying out, it is finished! And he gave up his spirit. The Bible also tells us that the Roman soldiers came along and found both of the thieves still alive and so broke their legs so that they would die more quickly. So what that means is the thief watched Jesus die. Jesus made a promise. And I can imagine if I were that thief on the cross, and I deserve to be, hanging on the cross, and as long as Jesus was with me, as long as He was alive, as long as He was breathing, perhaps able to believe that somehow, some way, He was going to usher me into paradise. And then He dies. And I really wonder what went on in the heart of the thief. In that span of time, hours perhaps, as he hung there wondering, will he? Will I? Is this all true? The question really is, what did he believe? Did he take Jesus at His word? I believe he did, because you see, Jesus said, not as a hope, but as a matter of fact, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus had already looked into his faith, saw and knew that this man believed in Him. Such that his faith was, maybe it wasn't mammoth, he had never gone to a seminary, to study these things. Never been in heavy-duty Bible classes as far as we know, but in that moment, all it took was a word. Remember me. And Jesus saw His faith and promised Him life everlasting. We will meet this thief someday. No longer a thief, but a son in the house of God. Well, we're going to stick with Romans 4 a little bit longer this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, Romans chapter 4, verse 17. We, we went through all of Romans 4 on Wednesday night. Covered these things pretty in depth, but, but there's more. There's always more where God is concerned. So beginning in verse 17, picking it up from right there, as it is written, A father of many nations have I made you. In the presence of him whom he, that is Abram, believed. Even God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. In hope against hope he believed. So that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken. So shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith he contemplated his own body. Now as good as dead. "...since it was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb, yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Therefore, it was credited to him as righteousness." Now. Not for His sake only was it written that it was credited to Him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited as those who believe in Him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. Father, increase our faith. Increase our faith, Lord. The marvelous thing about praying that prayer, Lord, you know that to increase our faith, it doesn't matter where our faith is. It doesn't matter how deep and rich and true and vibrant it is versus how tiny and little and shaky it is. We just say, increase our faith. Fill us up, Lord, to overflowing with a real and actual trust in Jesus Christ. And Father, in you as our God, A trust that you are going to do everything you said you would do. And help us, Lord, this morning, perhaps to understand our faith a little better. To set aside all the religiosity that gets built up around such words as faith. And Father, to be freed up from that and to just hear your heart on this matter. We pray your spirit would help us with this today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Abram stood out beneath the countless stars on what must have been a brilliantly clear starry night in the rolling hills there of Canaan, Canaan then, Judea and Samaria now, standing there in those hills, looking up as God said, Genesis 15 verse 5, now look toward the heavens and count the stars. If you are able to count them. He said, So shall your descendants be. Bright, shining, innumerable stars. So shall your descendants be. Now, speaking of stars, several news agencies picked up on a story just this last week. Interesting story, found in the Astronomical Journal which is a journal about astronomy. It's not just a big journal, you know. That would be possible, I guess, too. Astronomical. February 9, 2016, an international research team at the Parks Observatory in Australia has discovered hundreds of new galaxies. This year... Suddenly, we're recognizing more is out there that we did not know was out there. Using radio wave technology, they actually were able to cut through the Milky Way to, to see using that Parkes radio telescope. They were able to go through the hazy stars, the dust in the Milky Way, and what they discovered behind on the other side, unseen, was another 883 galaxies. Wow. <laughs> A third of those galaxies, we had no idea were there at all. Now, scientists have long referred to this area as the Zone of Avoidance, the ZOA. And they believe this new discovery may help explain why this region beyond the Milky Way draws all nearby galaxies toward it. It actually is pulling galaxies in to that central location. It was given the name back in the 1970s, the Great Attractor. That's what science does. When they don't understand what something is, they name it and just leave it alone for a while. The great attractor. We're getting pulled in. It's that mysterious spot in the universe, beyond the Milky Way, who has such a strong gravity that it's pulling the Milky Way and thousands of other galaxies with a force equivalent to a million billion suns, according to researchers. In fact, the lead author of this study, Lister Stavely Smith, of the, I know, right? First name, Lister. I would expect his last name to be like Ean or something. But Lister Stabley Smith of the University of Western Australia said we don't actually understand what's causing this gravitational acceleration on the Milky Way or where it's coming from. We know that in this region, the zone of avoidance, we know that there are a few very large collections of galaxies we call clusters or superclusters And our whole Milky Way is moving toward them at a rate, check this out, of 2 million kilometers an hour. For us Americans, that's 1.2 million miles an hour. We are speeding toward the great attractor right now. You thought you were sitting still. We should be getting tickets right and left. (laughs) We are being pulled in that direction. Now the universe itself, remarkably, amazingly, is expanding from a central beginning point. A point of creation, I would say. The universe is expanding outward, and yet within the expanding universe, here we are in our galaxy, being pulled toward another location in the galaxy, with great force. The great attractor. That's an interesting name. I would use it for someone else. You see, Jesus said in John 6.44 that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. There's your great attractor. Jesus also said in John 12.32, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. And that being the case, you might look around our world today and ask the question, so why aren't all people currently moving toward Jesus with the force of a million billion suns? Why aren't all people not obviously being drawn to the person of Jesus Christ? And I think one simple answer may be this. That the force of all godly attraction is initiated by faith. It begins with faith. Where there is no faith, there is no movement toward Jesus. But, get this, once you trust Him, however little, once you take that first tiny step in trusting and believing in Jesus, you start moving toward Him at a faster and faster and more rapid acceleration. All it takes is a tiny step of faith. Trusting in the Lord. Genesis 15.6 tells us after Abraham looked up at the stars heard what God said that Abram believed in the Lord. He just believed Him. And he reckoned it to him as righteousness. That night, Abram just took God at His Word. Having no reason to do so he just accepted it as truth. So God called Him righteous simply for believing in Him. We need to understand that the issue of faith is absolutely astronomical. That it is key. That it is central. And I'm so enjoying our study through Romans because we're talking about these things. You know, we're looking at propitiation and redemption and justification and now faith. And you might say, well, faith. Yeah, I mean, we got faith. I got my faith. We understand faith. No, I don't think we do. Because it's not about what you do or what I do. The issue is what faith does. And we get to see this this morning in Abram. Christian faith is unlike any other in the world. Our religion, if you want to call it that, our our faith, our belief system is different radically different than any other in all the earth and through all history. It's the only one that doesn't require you to do anything but believe. That faith, though it is seen in our works, I mean the evidence that faith is there, sure that will come out in the things that we do but we don't do the things to gain faith. We don't do the things to prove it. We just believe. Show me another system of, of, of belief that does that. It doesn't require you to keep a certain set of laws or pillars or requirements. But in Christian faith, we are called upon to believe. Now, here's how simple it is. From a human perspective, we accept God. That's it. We accept God as He has revealed Himself. He's revealed Himself in creation, Romans 1 tells us. He's revealed Himself in His Word, Psalm 19 tells us. And most of all, Hebrews 1 tells us, in these last days, He has spoken to us through His Son, Jesus. So He's revealed Himself in Jesus Christ. He has shown us who He is, and now He says, will you trust Me? Will you believe in Me? That's my part, and that's simple. That's the itty-bitty part. Childlike faith. The divine perspective is much greater In fact, greater than the pull of the entire universe. Listen to this. I just want to read it to you. This is out of Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13. Listen carefully because the wording is heavy. When God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply you. And so, having patiently waited... He obtained the promise. For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath given as confirmation is an end of every dispute. In the same way, God, desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of His purpose, interposed with an oath... So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. You get that? Huh? Listen again to this verse. By two unchangeable things God swore. Two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. What are those two things? His nature and His Word. He gave Abraham his word, which he cannot do untruthfully. He must tell the truth. God is truth, so when he speaks his word, it is always truth. That's all you get from God. He spoke his word, which is truth, and then he swore by himself. His word and his nature, both unchangeable, both rock solid, and that's how God presented the offer, the promise to Abram. I'm going to bless you. Multitudes are going to come from you. It's going to be remarkable. Now, when God first did that, back in Genesis 12, Abram was not a young man, but still old enough that he could perhaps bear kids. When He spoke it again in Genesis 15, Abraham was 86 years old. Sarah was 76. God promises something at that point in their lives, and then 14 years go by and nothing happens. And God shows up again and says, this time next year Sarah is going to have a child. At that point, Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90. Are you kidding me? But God swore on Himself and by His Word, His nature, His Word, unchangeable, rock solid. So what Paul does in Romans 4 is he goes to that story. He goes to Abram. He wants to explain, not just explain faith, but He wants to show what faith does. To give us understanding what what this whole faith thing is really all about. In Romans 4, He's already launched into the arena of salvation. Remember, we got there last week. Romans 3.21 and following all the way through chapter 8 is all about the arena of salvation. That is how we are saved and how we are to live as saved people. And it just gets better and better from here, so buckle up. It's going to be great. But it begins and continues on with faith. So before going any further, Paul stops and says, let's talk about this. Let's think it through. Now, many of you Bible students, you're familiar with Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Great definition. Hebrews 11.6 Without faith it is impossible to please God for he who comes to God must believe that He is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek Him. So faith is what initiates attraction to God, the great attractor. He wants to draw, desires to draw all people to Him. Ultimately, by the way, Jesus will draw all people to Him, even non-believers. We're all going there. We are all going to end up in front of Jesus. We will all be drawn. But right now in this life, it begins with faith. So, to explain what faith does, Paul points back to Abram, asking a very simple question, what did Abraham believe? Or better, how did Abraham believe? And that's what's in the passage before us. I want to give you five principles of faith this morning, or five descriptors of how faith works in our lives. And the first one's very simple. In fact, that's it. Abraham's faith was simple. We complicate it. But faith is simple. Abraham simply believed in God. Listen to verse 17 again. As it is written, A father of many nations have I made you in the presence of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. That's the work of God. And it is astronomical. Astronomical. My little role is believing Him. Okay. I trust you, Lord. I believe you. He does all the work. I trust Him to do it. He he covers all the ground. I get in the car and ride. He takes us where we need to go. I just ride along. I just accept. I believe. I trust. I trust that Father's going to get me there. That's my part. And the example Paul uses of God giving life to the dead and calling into being that which does not exist is this. He called Abram a father. He called him a father when he was not a father. Nor had he ever been a father. Again, in Genesis 15, 86 years of his life, he had lived childless. Sarai, his wife, was referred to in Scripture as barren. They had never had any kids, and and God calls Abram a father. In fact, He called him a father of many when he was a father of none. Nada. Worse, Paul mentions in verse 19, he was as good as dead. It's an old man. And no offense to those of you who are, uh, you know, uh, older than me. (laughs) You get to a point where, you know, as my father-in-law says, the aches and pains that you're feeling right now, son, hey, you'll appreciate them in 30 years. They'll remind you you're still alive. (laughs) Thanks, Dad. Got back to look forward to. He was as good as dead. Now think about this for a moment. Yeah, it was 4,000 years ago, but Abram was a guy just like us. What would it be like your entire life to hear your name? Abram. Abram. As a kid, it might have been hopeful. As a young man, encouraging. But as year after year after year went by, and it became untrue, it must have been very difficult. In fact, I wonder if people didn't snicker. Abram? Abram means exalted father. Big daddy, we would say. And so all his life, hey, big daddy... (laughs) Because he got to a point where no kids were showing up. Exalted father of what? Big daddy of nothing. He wasn't a big daddy. He wasn't a daddy at all. And note this. God did not say in verse 17, I will make you a father. What did He say? A father of many nations. Have I made you? What are you talking about, Lord? How can you say that? We don't have any kids in the house. We sold the bassinet long ago. All hopes are gone. Nothing there. A father of many nations, have I made you. Genesis 17.5 God says, No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. Which Donna mentioned to me. All he did was add a ha to Abram's name. Abraham for I have made I have not, I will make I have made you the father of a multitude of nations I have made in the Hebrew is in the perfect tense which simply means the action has been completed it's a done deal This is not any question here I have like Jesus saying to the thief today You will be with me in paradise. It's a done deal. Well, he wasn't with Jesus in paradise at that moment. He was on the cross. But he would be. He absolutely was because Jesus said so. I've made you a father of many nations. Abram, Abraham, it's a done deal. He changed his name, Abram, exalted father, to Abraham, which literally means big daddy of a multitude. And you thought there were Snickers before. Only God can talk like this. Only God can speak something that wasn't as though it was because it would be. Only God can speak something as though it is because it absolutely would be. And Abe simply believed. What a great picture of faith. He didn't work it out. He didn't go to seminary and, and think it through and study it until he fully understand and grasped all the concepts and reasoned it. No, he just believed him. Oh, I'm going to be a father of many nations? As he's leaning on his cane, okay. I trust you. Sounds good to me. Somehow he knew that for God to be God, things like old dead bodies were trivial. Not a problem. That God is not limited to the mediums of human artists. You know, like oils or or textiles or clay. In fact, God works in the materials that are the stuff of nothingness. Walked out into the kitchen area yesterday evening. And my daughter, Anna Marie, and her friend, Victoria, who's staying with us this weekend, and... uh, uh, Margaret and Lydia Daly were all there and, and Naomi and they had all of Cheryl's nail polish out on the table now when I see things like this I just turn around and walk away <laughs> because that stuff scares me I kid you not and they, you know the stuff that they, they take out to take the nail polish off you can get a buzz from that that's not good so anyway, but they have all this stuff out there, all of these materials with which to paint their nails. Do you realize that God's kitchen table has nothing on it? My table always has something on it because there's always something going on. Cheryl is into coloring and Anna Marie and the kids are too, and so there are always coloring books all over the table. There are pens and crayons and all kinds of different ways to bring beauty to our house, I guess. And... <laughs> Just look at this mess, and they go, Well, that's the stuff that's the medium that they're working in. Naomi loves to watercolor, she'll get out her paints, and so all of this stuff. God has a completely clean table because He works in nothing. That's the medium that He uses. It's funny, after first service, Ray Remp came up to me and, and, and said, You know, Rick, the hydrogen, hydrogen atom, and after that, I don't know what he said. <laughs> He's talking to like, okay, but but then he, he said, do you realize that what is what, what there 's the most of in the universe is actually nothing that there 's more nothingness in the universe than there is stuff, so god 's got a lot to work with, and I thought that 's good that 'll preach right <laughs> Nothingness. In the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, God created the heavens and the earth. And the word created, you Bible students know it's bara. It means to create something of nothing. God sat down at his kitchen table and went, Alright, let's see. Water, uh, earth, sky, light, and just started out nothing was there. He's just, this is what he does. It's marvelous. For God, creation is, you could say, immaterial. He didn't borrow to create. He borrowed all creation of nothing. So when Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, As God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Christ Jesus, who was preached among you by us, was not yes and no, but is yes in Him. For as many are the promises of God, in Him they are yes, because when He speaks it, He's gonna do it. Because when He says it, it is a done deal. Therefore, also through Him is our amen to the glory of God through us. Question is, can you, like Abraham, believe in a God who can call into being that which does not exist? Do you believe in a God like that? Your marriage may appear to be nothing. Do you believe in a God who can call into being something that doesn't right now currently look like it even exists? Your job prospects may look to be non-existent. Do you believe in a God who can call something out of nothing? Your physical health may seem to be a a fictional hope. You've got an illness, you've got a disease, you've got some kind of problem. And it's like, this is not even a possibility. God calls something out of nothing. Do you believe that? Do you simply believe it? Because He works beautifully in the realm of nothingness. Simple faith. Abraham believed it. There was no reason to. In fact, Paul goes on, verse 18, he says, "...in hope against hope he believed." So that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body. I know you've done that before. You look in the mirror and you go, hey. Maybe you younger people don't. You go, yeah. I did that once or twice when I was like, I don't know, 10. He contemplated his own body now as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He thought about these things. God said, so shall your descendants be. And for a split second, Abraham went, All right! Okay then! I believe you, Lord! Paul says... In hope against hope. Now, what does that mean? Listen, note this, the second aspect of faith. Not only was Abraham's faith simple, his faith was spiritual. Spiritual. That is, not physical. If it were physical, then looking down at himself and contemplating his body, it would have been over right then. It wasn't physical. There was no earthly reason, no physical grounds for Abraham to hope in this promise. That's hope against hope. Human hope pitted against godly hope. See, human hope is fragile. Falls apart. Godly hope is rock solid. And God often does this, understand, in your life, in my life, with His promises, He will often pit hope against hope. What is absolutely hopeless, He'll throw in a word of hope to see how you're going to do with it. He pits the two against each other. Why? So that we might understand hope when there shouldn't be any. When there really shouldn't be any hope at all and faith is the mechanism of this faith is where it happens it doesn't start with hope it starts with faith I trust Him and suddenly begin to have hope that doesn't make any sense hope in spite of the mess of my life hope in spite of broken relationships hope in spite of my worries and concerns and troubles and issues I have hope why? because of faith simple faith spiritual faith Faith, gain births hope. It's one of the marvelous byproducts of faith. When I trust Him spiritually, that is beyond the tangible, physical life, beyond all the evidence, if I will just trust Him regardless of what the evidence around me says, hope arises. Faith births hope. Let me see if I can explain this because I, I think we got a little issue. We, we need to extricate this idea of faith from so much religious jargon. We use the word faith and we use it so casually and so often that sometimes it gets corroded. So let's clean it up a little bit. Let me ask you this. Think this through with me. Romans 8.24 Paul says, In hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. Right? That makes sense. If you see it, it's not hope. It's just it is what it is. He says, For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see... With perseverance, we ain't wait eagerly for it. And he's talking about our salvation. So here's my question to you. Show of hands. How many of you believers in Jesus accept that there is a heavenly future with Him? Now, remarkable, because first service, they all raise their hands too. Quickly, easily. Oh, yeah, of course, eternal salvation. Got it. Okay. That being the case, then why are we ever Hopeless. When it comes to our trivial, silly, little troubles of life. What you all just told me is that I believe that I'm going to live forever eternally with Jesus in heaven. I believe in that. You've never seen it. That's because it's spiritual faith. You believe spiritually something you can't see, but you accept it as true and real. You believe it. And yet when the car won't start, it's hopeless. When the doctor calls, it's hopeless. When the argument spikes too high with the spouse, it's hopeless. (laughs) I can believe Him for eternity, but I can't believe Him for the little things? That's back on me, gang. Hope against hope. God wants to bring up hope. Hope even in the temporary troubles of life. Some of you, you know this. verse, 2 Corinthians 4.17 For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen, those are eternal. You understand what he's saying? If I look with Eyes that look at the unseen, the eternal, the spiritual, I have hope. But if these momentary light afflictions bring me trouble and I'm looking with fleshly, temporal, earthly eyes, I'm hopeless. And I know that there are those who might say, well, that's great for Paul, but see, my momentary light afflictions are not momentary, nor are they light. I am long in a battle, suffering for years over something, My afflictions are very, very heavy. You want to talk to Paul about light and momentary affliction? Really, you want to have that conversation? You think your life is harder than the life of the Apostle Paul? I think if we started pulling out lists and doing comparisons, most of us, maybe not all, but most of us would say, Okay, shutting up. No way, my life is as difficult as Paul's was. And yet he called all that happened to him momentary light affliction. Why? Because he had eyes of faith. Because his faith was spiritual, not physical. Based not on what he saw, but on what he knew that God was going to do. We all struggle. I, I get that. I struggle. You struggle. Sometimes we're just lightly bummed. Other times we are heavily discouraged. We are walking in despair. And our problems can seem insurmountable, sometimes mountainous. And we don't know how to get over We don't know how to see it through. We don't know how to make it. We're looking with human eyes. We're not looking spiritually. Because if we were looking spiritually, we'd be like, whatever. God's going to make this work. I don't know how. But somehow, a multitude's coming from this old guy. Psalm 121, the psalmist spoke these words completely understanding I lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? Now, there's that scene in The Sound of Music, you know, where Mother Superior starts singing, "Climb every mountain." You know, as a kid, I would watch that scene and I thought she's going to die before she's done singing. This is going to be the tragedy of The Sound of Music. It'll be the sound of death, and then we'll move on. You know, Mother Superior is going to, you know, take a header on the floor. I don't know. I will look, as she says to Maria, I will look to the mountains from whence cometh my help. Wrong! The mountains are the problem. The mountains by the psalmist were filled with enemies. I look at the mountains and I say, What am I going to do? I've got mountains of problems, Lord. How am I going to surmount this? And the psalmist says in Psalm 121.2, My help comes from the Lord, Maker of heaven and earth. I'm not looking at the mountains for help. What's that? environmentalist, what I look to I go for a walk in the mountains and that really helps well that's dumb because you're going to come down the mountain and the problem's going to be right there waiting for you, right? the mountains are the problems the Lord is the answer faith that is simple faith that is spiritual and the truth is when I'm overwhelmed by the stuff of life you know what I need more than anything else? I need to be overwhelmed by God I need to come and sit and worship and just get overwhelmed with His goodness, His mercy, His power, and His grace. And when I'm overwhelmed by Him, simply, spiritually, my faith births hope. Trust brings assurance and confidence, not in circumstances, but in the Savior. Remember, God sent a letter to Israel when they were in exile in Babylon. And in the center of that letter, the centerpiece verse, we love it, we use it as Christians, Jeremiah 29.11, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. They were in captivity. And I know the plans I've got for you. question is, Israel and Babylon, do you trust me? question is, follower of Jesus right here this morning, do you trust me, the Lord says? Simple faith, spiritual faith, that God is going to follow through. And when we start to believe, hope comes. But faith does something else. Look at verse 20. Yet, with respect to the promise of God, he, that is Abram, did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. That one verse is worth an entire Sunday morning. He did not waver in unbelief. The word "waver" there is diakrino in the Greek. We've heard this word before. It's the word doubt. He did not waver. He did not doubt in unbelief. Unbelief is apistia. Now, the word pistos in the Greek is faith. Ah, pistos, ah, apistia means unfaith or negative faith, no faith. So what he says that Abram did not do is he did not, he did not waver with no faith. By the way, that word diacrino literally means not, not just doubt, not just waver. It means to divide. Now listen, this is important. To divide. How does that work? He did not divide himself in unbelief. To divide yourself in unbelief. To divide oneself with faith. That's what Abram didn't do. That's what unbelief does. It divides us from that part of me that wants to believe and that part of me that wants to doubt. I become a divided man. In fact, the Bible calls that being double-minded. James says in James 1.6, the one who doubts Diacrino... Is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double minded man, unstable in all his ways. To be double minded is to divide myself into the warring factions of belief and doubt, fighting back and forth. And double mindedness won't get you anywhere, faith will. Abraham was not a double-minded man. He was single-hearted. In fact, Jesus described it this way. He said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. How are they going to see God? God is spirit, the Bible tells us. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. The only way to see God is with spiritual faith. Simple faith. But watch this. There's another aspect of faith right here. Not only did Abraham not waver, but Paul says in verse 20, he grew strong in faith. Get this. Faith is, number three, strengthening. Simple, spiritual, strengthening. I didn't say faith strengthens you. I said faith is strengthening. That is, Abraham's faith grew Abraham's faith. This is a dynamic of faith that is absolutely huge. The more you believe, the more you will believe. Faith that births hope also reproduces more faith. And you may start out in your walk with Jesus with just a tiny little bit, just enough to say, I'm going to pour all i got into this. I'm just going to believe you. And all of a sudden, you do, and you believe Him a little more. And as you believe Him more, your capacity to believe Him more grows. Faith strengthens faith. Faith increases faith. The more you believe, the more you can believe. How many times did Jesus put it this way? And He put a a very high emphasis on this. Luke 8.48 To the woman who touched the hem of His robe and was instantly healed from 12 years of bleeding. Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And her faith increased. In fact, understand this. She already had faith. She had to have faith just to just to grab hold of the robe of Jesus, thinking, if I touch him, I'll be well. She believed that. It wasn't much to believe. It was just a little belief, but she did. If I can just get hold of his robe, I'll be all right. She touched him. Power goes out from him, fills her, and she's healed. And she knew it instantly. What do you think that did to her faith? Jesus said, Daughter, your faith has made you well. And she went away with more faith than she had when she came in. She had faith when she came in, but now she had more. To the Samaritan leper, Luke 17, verse 19, he said, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Jesus had healed 10 lepers. All the rest of them took off. The Samaritan leper, he made his way back to Jesus, found him and said, thank you for doing this for me, faith. And Jesus said, your faith made you well. Hit the road, Jack. And as he did, more faith. Blind Bartimaeus. Blind Barty. I love this guy. little blind guy sitting in Jericho as Jesus came through the city on His way to Jerusalem, on His way to the cross. Luke 18.42 Blind Bartimaeus is the one who was sitting there shouting, Son of David, have mercy on me! And they're like, shut up, shut up! He's like, Son of David, shut up! Be quiet! And he just wouldn't shut up. And Jesus hears him and goes, bring him, bring him over here. So they get Barty and they bring him before Jesus... Jesus says, what do you want? He goes, I just want to see. That's my paraphrase. I just want to see. (laughs) And Jesus goes, dude, you're healed. You can see. Bartimaeus is thrilled. He says, Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. Bartimaeus had faith that the son of David could do it. When he opened his eyes, his faith had already increased. Faith increases faith. And Jesus was always quick to point out the potency of faith itself. Something I think maybe we forget that simply by having faith, there is an inherent power in faith to cause faith to grow. If I would just step out. If I would just take a moment and believe and listen again, it is not something I do. It is what faith does in me. It's what faith does to me. And the greater the faith, the greater the capacity for faith. You know, faith is never static. It's either growing or it's dying. It never sits still. So I'm either feeding faith and growing in faith and faith birthing more faith in my life or I'm shutting down faith and it's dying off. Which is why the apostles cried out in Luke 17 verse 5, Lord, increase our faith! And what did the Lord say? Dudes, if you had the faith of a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, "Be uprooted and planted in the sea," and it would obey you. And Jesus cannot lie. I'm still waiting for that much faith, because I just think that'd be fun, you know. Mount Erie, be cast in the sea. Faith, faith the size of a mustard seed. Because faith, like a seed, increases and produces. It produces hope. It produces more faith. And note this also. It says that Abraham grew strong in faith. Finally, verse 20, giving glory to God. So not only does faith produce hope and increase more faith, it also produces worship. The more faith, the more worship, the more I have to worship God, the more I I have to praise Him. The more I believe, the more I bless the name of the Lord. Psalm 106, verse 12 says, They believed His words, they sang His praises. I love that. They believed His words, they sang His praises. So you see what I'm talking about here? This, this dynamic of faith. It, it births hope. It produces more faith. It develops worship. All of this stuff simply because I say, Lord, I believe You. I trust you. Verse 21. And being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Abraham's faith was simple, spiritual, strengthening, and number four, secured. Make sure you put a D on the end of that. Secured. His faith wasn't just secure, it was secured. He didn't have a clue how God was going to pull this off. When he stood there in the hills of Canaan, looking up at the stars that night, he had no idea how God was going to pull off this prodigious, proliferating pedigree. I just like saying that. Many nations from one elderly, aging couple. Really? Many nations? He didn't know how. He didn't know why. He just believed, get this, he just believed that if God promised it, God was able to perform it. That's so simple. Do you believe that? If God promised it, He was able to perform it. Numbers 23.19 Has He said and will He not do it? Or has He spoken and will He not make good? Remember where we started in Hebrews 6. God gave two unchangeable promises based on His nature, based on His Word. He cannot speak a lie. He can only speak truth. And so if He speaks it, guess what? He's going to do it. And He is able to do it. He is able to perform it. Now, please listen. Because there's a problem inherent in this verse, verse 21, that I think really trips up followers of Jesus. It trips up Christians. Note this again it says he was fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. What God had promised. He doesn't say what Abraham expected. He says what God has promised. And sometimes we slide into the place of thinking that God is going to do something, He has to do something, because we really, 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 really want it to happen. I ask you for this, God. Sometimes we fool ourselves into thinking God told us He was going to do it, because we want it so badly. So I'm just, I'm just sure that God's all over this one. But He never promised it. He never said He was going to. We just assumed it. Abraham heard God's word and understood that what God promised he would perform. But sometimes as believers we have our own agenda. We have the things that we want God to do for us. And we get upset when He doesn't do those things. Let me ask you a question. What do you expect out of God? What do you expect out of God? He owes you nothing. And sometimes we think He owes us quite a bit. I mean, I've been at church every Sunday for like four weeks in a row. I even showed up one Wednesday night to prove my faithfulness and said, come on, God, You owe me. God doesn't owe you anything. He doesn't owe me a thing. The fact that I live and breathe is a gift. The fact that I was ever created and given life is a remarkable gift. God owes you nothing. Nothing. And yet we sit around and we have certain expectations that we place on God and when things don't go the way we want them to go, faith starts to waver. You know why? Because it's faith in yourself. Because it's faith that's self-centered. It is not centered in on the person of God or the Word of God. What do you expect out of Him? The question is not, does God keep my Word? The question is, does God keep His? Is He faithful to perform what he said he was going to do. (laughs) He's simply not required to keep anything that I have expected or assumed out of him. And it comes out in questions like this. What has God done for me lately? I think a far better question is, Lord, what are you doing? And how can I be a part of it? truth is, my friends when we place our trust in Him, what He draws us out of is ourselves and into His purposes. And what's amazing about that is as I trust Him, I get drawn into what He's doing, what He wants to accomplish what He wants to take care of in this world and I don't matter I mean I do, I matter to Him, I know He loves me But it doesn't matter what I want to do. What's He doing? That's what I want to do. Where's He going? That's where I want to go when I'm trusting Him. But when I'm all focused in on self, I don't want to do that. I want Him to fix here. I want God to join me in what I'm doing. Well, He never said He would. The question is, will we join Him in what He is doing? This brings me to the last descriptor, if you will, of Abe's faith. Note that God didn't ask him. Check this out. He didn't ask Abraham to look back and believe. He didn't say, "Okay, Abe and I called you out of Ur of the Chaldees, and I called you to come to Canaan's land. You had that brief stop in Haran, and finally you made your way over here. And and I want you to think back on our little travels together, and I want you to trust me in all those in what happened." He, He doesn't say that. He asked Abraham to look forward. So number five, Abe's faith was simple. Abe's faith was spiritual. It was strengthening. It was secured. And number five, it was in the subsequent. Abe's faith was in the subsequent. What do you mean? Let me put it this way. I absolutely, and some would disagree with me on this, tragically, I absolutely believe in every word the Bible teaches. I believe from cover to cover, every single story... I believe every word of every verse of every chapter of every page of every book of the entire Bible. I believe it's all true. I believe it's all literal. I'm just that kind of guy. I go back and I believe in the literal, actual, true stories of the past. Adam's apple. I believe. Noah's flood. Jacob's ladder. Jonah's whale. I accept it as truth that it actually happened. I believe that. I have faith in it. I believe in all that Jesus taught and all that Jesus did as spoken to us in the scriptures. But listen. Usually when we talk about faith, that's what we mean. Huh? We we think that faith is the collection of facts. That we now accept to be true. That's my faith. What's wrong with that? Nothing. The problem is that that's faith as a noun and God wants us to have faith as a verb. Faith as a noun is I have my faith, this system of belief and all these stories, true stories and all that scripture tells me, true words and I have my faith in that and I'm grounded in that and of course I'm pro-life. Right? I'm pro-traditional marriage. I'm pro-Israel. I'm I'm pro-morality. I'm pro-all these things. All good things. All important. All should flow out of our system of belief. But that's faith as a noun. God, when He called Abraham to believe, was looking for faith as a verb. Look at all this. And Abraham believed Him. He acted on it. He had no reason to. But he believed. And we release dynamic faith when we trust Jesus right now, this morning. Not for what he did for you last week. Not for what you learned about him in a previous Bible study. No, you trust Jesus right now, today, saying, Lord, I trust you. From this day forward, I trust you. I wake up every morning and that's the first thing that I try to pray. Lord, I trust you now. I believe you now. I have faith in you today for what's coming and I don't even know what it is but I believe you're doing it when Abram first believed it was just him and Sarah in the years left to him he never saw what ultimately would come of his faith oh he saw a fulfillment in that Isaac was born laughing boy that's what Isaac means laughter because Sarah laughed when she heard that she was going to have a baby at the age of 90 I don't blame her she looked at her husband and went... <laughs> and she laughed. And then a year later gave birth in laughter. And they named him Isaac, whose name means laughter. And it's marvelous and he really was Abraham. <laughs> but he would never see the astronomical result as big as the stars of the heaven, the multitude of nations that would be blessed because He decided one night in Canaan to have faith. One man just trusted God that night. Okay, you say you're going to do it? I believe you're going to do it. And Hebrews says that Abraham and Sarah and Moses and and Joshua... Men like Enoch, all this list of great believers, Hebrews 11.13 says they died in faith. Well, not Enoch, he, he just went home, but that's another story. Died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Faith. Abraham didn't see the outcome of the multitude. He saw one baby. But before the baby arrived, he believed. He just trusted God to do what he said he was going to do. And what excites me about that, faith as a verb, it means you and I, we get to, should we choose to, we get to grow in the exact same kind of dynamic, real-time trust as all those people of faith. Because all they did was say, Today, Lord, I trust you for tomorrow. I trust you. I believe in who you are, and I believe you're going to do what you said you would do. And Jesus says, John twenty twenty nine, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see, and yet believed. Blessed with hope. And increasing faith and the joy of worship. And remarkably, in all of this, here's what it comes down to. We are made righteous. Therefore, verse 22, it was also credited to him as righteousness. That word credited, some translations say imputed. The righteousness of God was imputed to Abraham, was was given to him, was credited to him. Suddenly his account was full. He was a righteous man. And what had he done to deserve it? Nothing. He just trusted God. I trust you, Lord. You're righteous, Abraham. And of all the other results of faith, if they weren't enough, the astounding significance of all this is we are made righteous. Watch this. Verse 23. Now, not for His sake only was it written that it was credited to Him, but for our sake also. To whom it will be credited. Now stop right there. That's not a good translation. Because it's written in the present active indicative. It is not to whom it will be credited. It is to whom it is credited. Now the translators are just trying to make it more readable. But gang, what he says right there is, For our sake also, to whom it is credited, that is righteousness, as those who believe in Him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, He who was delivered over because of transgressions, and was raised because of our justification. And that is the Gospel according to Abraham. What is Here's the gospel according to Abraham. If he were here this morning, if we called him up, Abraham, where are you? Come on up here and tell us the gospel. He comes shuffling up. We'd have a couple of guys help him get up the steps. He'd walk over here, a little dust would probably fall off of him. And he'd take the mic and he'd say, The gospel according to Abraham is this. God gives Life to the dead well that's interesting that's the gospel of Jesus Christ God gives life to the dead that is the gospel that's what Abraham believed this old dead body and that old dead body sorry honey but these two bodies somehow are going to produce a son and it was a miracle in that they were so old but it wasn't supernatural they did their part <laughs> And a son was born to them because they believed in God. Not just that He was going to give them a son, but that there would be a multitude of faith to follow. God gives life to the dead. Do you believe that? God gives life to the dead. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Because God gives life to the dead. Peter beautifully sums up everything Paul's saying this way. 1 Peter 1.20 For Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead, and gave Him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. Question, can God create life? out of the dead in you. Can He take the dead man, the dead woman, and raise him, raise her up to life? That is the Gospel according to Abraham. As good as dead, God did this wonderful thing. Hey, guess what? Jesus wasn't just as good as dead. Jesus was dead. And He told His Apostles over and over through His ministry, I'm going to rise again. On the third day, so... Keep that day open on your calendars. Easter Sunday. I want you guys there. I'm going to rise. He said it over and over. The promise was given. And He did rise. He was dead. Now He's alive forevermore. And just as God gave life to Sarah's dead womb, so He gives life to those who are dead in sin. Let me just... Sneak into Romans 5, verse 1. Listen to this. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we, watch this, and we exult in hope of the glory of God, and there it is, subsequent faith. Faith in what is to come. An expectant faith. Looking forward, just like Abram. Who became Abraham? Faith in the subsequent. Expectant, anticipatory, always looking forward to what God is going to do. That's faith. Abraham shows us it's simple. It's not rocket science. It is just simple faith. It is spiritual faith. It is strengthening faith. It is secured faith. And it is faith in what God is about to do that is the subsequent And so Paul writes in Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's faith. Abraham stood up. Out on that starry night, he looked up. And God said, now look toward the heavens, count the stars if you're able to count them. And He said to him, So shall your descendants be. Ask yourself this, how many people across the last 4,000 years, how many people have trusted the Lord with the same simple faith that Abram had that night? The answer? Count the stars. That's what faith does. Don't you for a second this morning think that your decision to trust God or believe in Him is insignificant? What do you think Abraham thought out there on the hills by himself? Okay, I believe you. Did he have any idea how big that really was? I don't think so. I think he just trusted God. And that's all you have been asked to do. Today, this morning, will you just trust Him? Will you just put your faith in Him? Daniel 12.3 tells us those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Gang, Jesus is the great attractor. He is where we are all headed. If you'd like to get there a little more quickly and if you'd like to arrive in relationship with Him, put your faith in Him this morning. Father, Increase our faith. Help us to trust You. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you need an increase of faith, if you desire, if you want a little help, just pray in that through. Or if you'd like to give your life to Jesus this morning, then come on forward while we sing this song. Prayer team, you can come on up.